someone asked on Wednesday evening what I was going to speak of, and my oldest grandson just quickly said, oh, it'll have plenty of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in it for sure. Mm-mm-mm. So I made a vow. I will not use any Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but I'm going to have to go back on that. This morning, one little piece of something he said in a poem will be used. So he was right. Let's pray. Father, you're a gracious God. I realize that this week so much. And we do pray again for the return of our men. And we just praise you for the opportunity to share openly and freely. Like Richard said, there are many that worship honestly in their hearts as much as they can. But they do it in great fear. We don't have that fear. Thank you. Bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're seen as relics, hangers-on. So many people today think our belief system is, is old. And it is old. The newest books in the New Testament, 2,000 years old. And we take this book to be so sacred, precious to us. I can vouch for that because when these times come up, I don't know what I'm going to... Carl's working through Genesis. I'm not working through anything. So I just have to pick something. And through an old devotional written by Charles Spurgeon back a long time ago, in a devotional book, Morning and morning and Evening, uh, it just was so special. And he called it Courage and Triumph. And I'm not exactly sure why. So when they asked me on last week, hey, you better give us a title, this, that, and the other. And I looked blankly at Carl. This was last Wednesday. He said, you've forgotten, haven't you? I said, uh, yes, I think I have. So I knew, knew before, but I'd forgotten it for a long time that I had to share today. So I told uh, Justin quickly, it's courage and triumph. So he's got courage and truth out there. Hey, he had fishing on his mind. He didn't think one thing, but it really, I'm not even sure why he titled it that, but I did it too. But it was so special, and I hope you will see it that way too. I'm going to read you one half of one verse to start with. Second Samuel 15. Um, hmm, right there it is. 23b. And the king, King David, crossed the brook Kidron. And all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but it is. Let me give you a little timeline first of David. Uh, These are approximates, but uh, just a little over a thousand years before Christ, he was born. And about 10 or 11 years later, Samuel appeared to Jesse and his sons, Josiah's age, about Zoe's age, Joser's age, that's how old he was when Samuel said, he will be king of Israel. Now, I don't know what you three and some other ones in here that might be 10, 11, 12 years of age would think of that, but that was the prophecy. And about 10 years later, he kills Goliath. Another 10 years, he finally was made king of Hebron in another 10 years. At about, well, 37, 38, he became king over all of Israel. And things were as good as they could get 
things were wonderful for the nation of Israel in many ways, most ways. But then the challenges came. He had too much time on his hand. And he looked down and saw Bathsheba. That was the beginning of many changes for David. Sin sin does complicate our world, even as believers. You know in your own minds and hearts better than your spouses, anyone else except for the Lord, how sin complicates and confuses and compromises your life. So at about 60 years of age, David has his own son rebel against him. And he took two or three years to do it, but he drew all of Israel to himself. How does this happen to the man, the only one in the scriptures that said, I find in this man a man after my own heart. He's never said that about any of us, to our knowledge, but it was written in the book. David was so, so special. It was really amazing. But these things were happening to him. Uh, we find this story very compelling. Let me read it to you. You can follow along, the starting verse 13 of Second Samuel 15. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, our servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him, and the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all the servants passed by him, all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who had following who had followed him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then the king said to Atai the Gittite, Why do you go along with us? Go back. Stay with the king, for you are a foreigner, and you're an exile from your own home. You came only yesterday. And shall I today make you wander about with us, since I go and know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, But Atai answered the king, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Atai, Go then, pass on. So Atai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with them. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. Reading verse 13 and 14, he realized things were in bad shape for them as Absalom was coming back to take over as king. So what does he do? He gathers the servants say, we'll go with you. A number of a number of people said, we'll go with you. These Cherolites and Pelothites, they were basically 
I don't think they were Jewish. They were from the area of Palestine, but they were usually hired out as mercenaries, that kind of thing. But they were loyal to David. And a number of Jewish people, it's hard to tell, two or three, four thousand, couldn't have been many people were with him. So that this small band fleeing in the night into the wilderness to hide, of all the places to find to leave, they chose the brook Kidron. Now, we've heard that, you've read that a number of times, but research shows that that was the small brook that went out one corner of Jerusalem where all the sewage left the area, all the filth, all that was worthless about Jerusalem left through that brook, that that small stream. They chose nighttime, and they fled crossing that stream to head for the wilderness. David had to wonder, wait a, wait, wait, wait a minute. When I was a little boy, I was told I would be king. And now I'm 60 years old, and the king is leaving by the worst. He didn't go out the main gate, the king's highway. He left and crossed a filthy ditch to leave and head to the wilderness. So they were slipping out in the night, didn't go to the main gate. He served as as God's afflicted as well as his anointed. Now, some of us have known difficult times. None of us have, have had a, a perfect life on this earth. It's just impossible to have. There are too many things. Everything in this world is a mess since Adam and Eve sinned and they left the garden. Their first step into this world that we know, they realized very quickly, nah, things aren't very good out here. They probably stepped on a, if any of you have been to Florida and done much walking, you'll step on what we call sand spurs down there. Boy, those things hurt like the dickens. It's, oh, as a kid, I just, oh, I hated when that happened because pulling them out was not easy. So everything's wrong about this earth. And they realize this at this point. How about us? Are we currently on the King's Highway, riding high and free? Or are we currently crossing our own brick Kidron in the dark of night? Loneliness, fear, worry, dread, wanting to retreat rather rather than to advance. This is where the Dietrich Bonhoeffer thing comes in. I love that poem so much, Who Am I? He wrote it while he was in Tegel Prison in Berlin in about two years left in the war, about two years before he he was hung. But all the jailers, all the other inmates, thought the world of him. They just held him in such high esteem. He was always counseling people, counseling the guards. They would smuggle, the guards would smuggle in paper for him, pen, ink, take out stuff for him, mail things for him. They were, if they would have gotten in trouble big time for doing that, but they all thought so highly of him. He wrote this poem about how they thought so highly of him, but how he thought of himself. He longed to hear birds sing again and see colors and just to be free. And he said, I'm a woebegone creature here. I'm, I'm, I'm not what they see, or am I really what they see? And he, he struggled with that. And this was the line, he said, am I like they see me? Or, he said, or is something within me 
still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already obtained. I think that's what David probably felt along with the other parts as he left. He said, Lord, I don't know what is coming, but you're still in control of my life. Uh, but we, we've got to keep perspective as we live life in this earth. We, we really, I'm always talking perspective. Nancy sometimes says, I get sick and tired of hearing about perspective. But it's, it's so important for us to keep things in their proper place. Uh, we have limited input into circumstances. Uh, last Wednesday night, uh, <laughs> right out front, someone was pulling into here. The car behind them stopped like they should. The car behind that one did not stop like it should. There was an accident. Those things, how many times, if, we, if I had a show of hands, I'd, there'd be a number of hands that so, ran into the back of someone. Things like this happen. Everyday chores and conflicts remind us of these truths. You know, Murphy's Law. I looked it up. This guy was in the Air Force in 1949. They say he coined this this law. And it, it spread throughout the whole base and through families. It worked its way into our lexicon. But his, name, his last name was Murphy. But we know it. If anything can go wrong, it will. You can see that at work, at home. At home and raising your children, anything at all. On this earth, if something can go wrong, it will. Sin does complicate our world, it, it's, but it's not always our sin. Uh, we deal with things today that, uh, in this, our society that I didn't see coming when I was younger. And many people often feel like they particularly have been picked out for hard things. And I can't, I can't answer everything about that, but we, all, we often look at our own sinful lives and think God is somehow punishing us. Um, my child born with the physical difficulties. It happens often. Uh, a car accident or sickness. A company closes. We lose our jobs. Uh, terminal disease comes our way or even caring for elderly parents. Don't forget that one, guys. Okay? All right. We we cannot contemplate a sinless homeland, but we have one. Have you thought, I thought this week, because I was putting this together, what would it be like for even a half hour not to have a sinful thought or see sin on your phone? Uh, you got to look on Fox News or any news thing for three minutes, skimming through the thing, and you'll see everything under the sun. What would it be like to be in a sinless place? Well, we cannot. Not that we will not, but we cannot sin. That's what our home really is. That's where the our that's where we're bound for. We've got to keep that perspective. David had to cross his brook Kidron. Time and time again. Remember how he lamented when his first child, born by Bathsheba, lay ill. He wouldn't eat, wouldn't sleep, he wouldn't bathe, he wouldn't do anything. But lament and probably pray to his God 
to save that child. That child died. Well, then he took food, took a shower, did the whole works. And they said, we don't understand. He said, well, I can't do anything about that now. The child can't come back to me, but I can go to that child. That was a brook Kidron he had to cross even back then. So he had to cross his brook Kidron time and time again on this earth. We'll have to also. Um, but we are highly honored. Uh, we could not be more highly honored to do it for our Savior. Everything about us is corrupted, is compromised, beyond our ability to control. Um, one thing I, I don't care for right now is I don't care that much for getting old. I'm not excited about it. Nancy's sick of hearing me say it. She has told me, look, and she, I mean, look, she has put the hammer down. I am sick and tired of you saying we're getting old. We're getting old, Nancy. I mean, when you get down on your knees and it takes you a half hour to get up, something's not right about that, you know. Seems like that. So there are things that occur in this world that we're just not happy about. Uh, but it's all been corrupted by sin. We age because of sin. I, how long did it take Adam and Eve to go from hearing what Christ, what God wanted them to do, and how He said, "Look, it's all yours. It's beautiful," and so forth? How long did it take? As some would say, a week. Some would say a year. So who knows? Could have been a thousand years that they lived peacefully in that garden, not aging one one second. But it happened quickly after sin came. So what are our Brooke Kidrons this morning? A faithless friend? Have we had a friend disappoint us? We've had, we've had that in our lives. Uh, probably wept some bitter tears over a close friendship that ended by being accused of something you didn't even do. Or in you know, a number of ways. Having to move away from a very close friend. My family moved all the time. You see, we were always moving somewhere. And Dad wasn't even being chased by the law. We just, he was just a rolling stone. Always worked. But we were back and forth from here to Florida so often. I was always leaving friends. Uh, but in this case, I was able to come back to some because we started things here in West Virginia. How about a sad bereavement, a slanderous reproach by someone, a dark foreboding or a deep dread that we have, a rebuke from a spouse or a parent? Uh, Jesus has crossed over our uh, kidrons for us already as believers. In Isaiah 63, 9, it says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. He was talking about God. God was looking at his people, the Jewish people. I always thought 430 years that he left them in Egypt was seems pretty harsh, pretty hard. These are my people, generation after generation after generation. That's all they knew about being Jewish was in Egypt, being taught by their parents and their grandparents or great-grandparents. Well, this is what we have from our past. What we have for our future is unknown. We keep praying. We keep begging God. But it hasn't happened yet. So for us to understand God, I just can't really do that. I have a hard enough time understanding things I even know, much less this God that is knowable but also unknowable. Why would he choose 430 years? I think this verse tells it. Even as they were we were afflicted, he sensed 
that affliction too. He felt their affliction. And in his appointed time, he said, I'm bringing it to an end. And he brings Moses back and said, we're leaving. His ways are his ways. We just don't always understand those. Um, I want to want you to look at, uh, if you would, First Corinthians. I mean, Second Corinthians, chapter one, verses three through eleven. I'm just going to go over these real quickly, but we're jumping to the New Testament for a better view of these uh, uh, these uh, the Brook Kidron type situation. This is Paul, who also crossed many of his own Brook Kidrons. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. And the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we shall share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That means they were crossing their brook Kidron. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. And he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So it changes, doesn't it, into the great comfort. Verse 3, the God of all comfort. Notice in verse 4, comfort, comforts, and comforted mentioned four times in the same verse. Uh, In verse 5 it says, for as the sufferings in Christ abound, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. I think of Peter. Peter's my, my favorite. I've mentioned it before because he always opened his mouth before he thought. And I do that all the time. I just, you can't, you think you'd learn by the time you get older, but you just don't always learn the things you should. But Peter was always jumping in with opinions and just, let's do this, let's do that. No, that won't happen. I'm not going to do that. No, Lord, all these things. The final days walking on the, after Christ was resurrected and he was with the men, he walked with Peter on the shores. He asked him three times, do you love me? And three times Peter said, I do. I think Peter realized then at that point the great comfort that Christ was going to give him in the days to follow. doesn't mean his life was easy. He was, tradition says he was crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified like his Savior. That was a different Peter. Chapter 2 of Acts, we spent the last uh, several weeks on that with the kids and truth seekers, where Peter stands up in front of thousands of people and says, Men of Israel, listen to this. So different than the guy that said, No, I don't know that man, and ran out and wept bitterly. God changes people's lives. It's very special. Verse 6 says, Believers, we are, we are in this thing together. That's the glory of being arm in arm with you guys as a church family. There's strength in numbers. There is. There's strength in numbers, and we need each other. Verse 7 says, where does our hope lie? It lies in the Lord, 
The unsaved world, they have their own wits, their own ideas, their own thoughts, their own everything. They're looking for what we have, but they don't know what it looks like. And they can't find it on their own. As we learned this morning in in the uh, uh, adult education class uh, by way of well, Paul's class, but he used a, a podcast by John MacArthur in the honesty of the gospel, how honest it is, the wonders of it, the beauty of us who, who know the Lord, who have been brought to him through it, we can speak of its beauty and wonder. But for those who are unsaved, it is a horrible accusation and a final judgment upon them. So it serves both purposes. I remember uh, one time Don Flager shared that this is a question that demands an answer, and you will answer it one way or the other. What will you do with Christ? And that's what the gospel is. Uh, so Paul was not, sh- in verse 9 or 8, he was not shy about sharing his sufferings. How many times does he go into great detail? You guys don't, you won't believe this, but I was shipwrecked this many times, bitten by a snake. Da, 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 da. He went through the whole nine yards. That was some of the things that, that Christ told him early on. I'm going to show you all the things you will suffer for my name. It just wasn't physical things either. A lot of things were brought to his mind through the years. Verses 9 to 10, though, are the real key. On him we have set our hope. Here's a Here's another quote by Charles Spurgeon. The iron bolt which so mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prisons needs a heavenly hand to push it back. We'll read that again. The iron bolt that so mysteriously fastens the door of hope and holds our spirits in gloomy prison needs a heavenly hand to push it back. For us through Christ, those of us who know him, he pushes that door open for us that so we can come in. And that's our hope. It's our beautiful hope. For those who don't know him, they're st- still standing at that steel door with an iron bolt holding it closed. David crossed his the brook Kidron in the dead of night with a very few thousand. It's hard to tell how many exactly were with him, but not many. Just a few thousand hangers-on. It was the lowest of the low points for David. However, in four years' time, it was four full years, but in four years' time, he did. He came back to Israel as king. He didn't come back and cross the brook Kidron. He came in at the main gate. Our Lord suffered greatly and rose victoriously so that we have come to know him as Savior, those of us who do know him, and can be assured of coming into the main gate of our heavenly home and never, ever knowing of a dead of night crossing of another Brook Kidron. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for for this that I've worked on this week. I have enjoyed it immensely. It is been very special. Lord, we have a a lot of responsibility as believers. You have given us a task 
of being sharers of your word, of your truth to others. Now, you haven't given us the task of guaranteeing that we say all the right things in order that they would become believers. I used to think that, and it used to be a huge, huge burden when in some of the few times that I've really shared the gospel with an unbelieving person, they look at me and say, I don't want any part of that. I don't even know what you're talking about. See you later. You begin to think, Lord, what words didn't I use? What happened? And oh, woe is me. It can sit, it can sit in on our hearts and minds and ruin us. If we don't get perspective and know the truth, if when we share the gospel, someone says, yes, that's what I've been looking for. Why haven't I heard it before? I want that. How do I get that? How can I come to know this Christ you know? Now, that would be surprising. I've never had that happen to me, but it can. And if it were to, we would know. The Spirit of God has quickened that heart and mind, and they are ready. What a great thing to be involved with someone at that point. But as the Scriptures say, somebody plants a seed, somebody waters, somebody comes back and waters later, somebody waters again, and finally there is a harvest. We don't know when you do these things you do, but you do them when you want to. (coughs) So we leave it to your choosing. Help us to follow well. If there is someone here today who doesn't know you, Lord, please work in their hearts and minds and change them. Draw them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.